enjoy your workplace week last week? Yeah. It was incredible to hear from Rick and Amber, some heroes of ours, and so many other incredible people who came and spoke to us throughout the week. Yeah. But tonight we're going to back to our main sermon series for the special. Anybody remember what that was?
You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to use one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to understand this saying. To understand what you're saying to us today, God. And to know your heart better. We hope, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your word tonight. And reveal yourself to us. Amen. 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 Okay, this is a pretty intense statement from Jesus. Yeah, right? Now, I know I'm in a sling, it's not related. It's kind of like launch. This is a, you know, pastor preaching on this week. But did you guys know that Jesus said this? Yeah. yeah. Have you heard this before? Yeah. Do you think he meant it? Yeah. yeah. So should we literally go pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands? Yeah. So what's Jesus saying? You know, I think a common thought about this question is, well, Jesus must be exaggerating, right? Like, sure, he's not actually telling people they should go and eat themselves, right? But he did say it. It would be better to pluck out your eye or cut off your hand than to sin. So if they cause us to sin, they should go. Right. Now, as we get into this, we cannot read this passage and not see that sin is a very serious thing to Jesus. Yeah. That's right. Sin is a really big deal to God. And I think a lot of people in our culture have this idea that Jesus isn't really that worried about sin. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Right. Many people point out, you know, when the woman was kind of adultery, he said he didn't condemn her. You know, if they were over in the Bible. <laughs> or they say things like, I don't know when he's perfect, or Jesus loves me anyway, right? right. Maybe it's his job to forgive. As if, he owes it to them for some reason. Right. And I've heard a lot of people who claim to be Christians loudly proclaim on our campus that Jesus just wants us to love everybody. He's not really worried about all the rules. But the reality is that sin is a very, very serious thing to God. That's right. It's a very big deal to Jesus. And he never, ever made light of it. Right. He never treated it flippantly. And many of the most severe things said about sin in the Bible are in red letters. Because Jesus said them. Just like this passage we're looking at today. And when we look at all these things, people like to say, immediately after he told the woman God adultery that he doesn't condemn her, he said, go and sin no more. There was a condition. He never shrugged his shoulders and said, oh, nobody's perfect. (laughs) Actually, he said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In Matthew 5, 48. And Psalm 5, 5 says that God hates all evildoers. And right here in our passage, he shows us that just following the rules isn't enough. It's not enough that it's not committed adultery. If you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with her. Right. It's not enough not to murder if you're angry with your brother. You've already murdered him. See, he takes the law and he makes it even more severe. He makes it even harder. He doesn't lower it. And the reality is Jesus hates sin. Right. And he's very serious about it. And we hate sin. Are we serious about it? But what lengths would we be willing to go to to fully deal with sin? 
if your right hand caused you to sin, or your right eye caused you to sin, what would you do? Well, as we go into this, let's take a second and really look at what actually is sin. What are we talking about here? Most of us would probably say, you know, it's doing bad things, right? It's doing the wrong thing. And that's true. But it's not really the full story. It's not the full extent of what sin is. And there is this element of sin that's in the choices that we make, the things we choose to do, our actions that we take. Right. And the actions we take have consequences. They affect the world around us. They affect the people around us. For example, let's say you know I went down to the wreck and I walked out on the basketball course, right? And I saw there were some guys who were playing a game and they were really focused on the game. There's no one else there. It's just me on the side and these guys playing the game. And I look over, and I see that all their stuff is there on the side. And right on top of one of the guys' stuff is in a wallet, and there's a $20 bill poking out. Now maybe in that moment I'd be faced with temptation, like I could just go grab that 20 and walk out of here. Right? And that would be wrong, right? Yes. That's stealing. Yes. It's against the Ten Commandments, it's against all sorts of things that we just know is stealing as wrong. That would be sin. Right. Yeah. And it would affect someone else if I made that sinful choice. Yeah. It would have a consequence, an impact. Even if I got away with this, somebody is going to lose something. Right. Yeah. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So this guy will cost $20. Maybe that's not that big of a deal to him, really. Maybe he's counting on $20 to have dinner. I don't know. But regardless, there's a consequence. Right. An impact. And I might have just caused hurt with my actions if I steal. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Right. And we all recognize sin on this level. And if I choose to do the wrong thing, it's going to affect other people. Yeah. It'll cause hurt. And we've all been hurt by people making selfish, sinful choices. Right. Probably more than losing twenty dollars. Right. Yeah. And if we're honest, we have all made those sinful choices. Yeah. Right. That's right. And caused hurt. And done wrong. Right. And the Bible deals with sin on this level. It urges us not to give in to temptation. And not make bad choices. In Genesis 4, 7, God said, Sin's crouching at the door. His desire is to have you. But you must master him. And we always can make the right choice. Or we can always choose to not take the $20. Right? Yeah. We've all experienced sin like that. But let me ask you, have you ever done something that you knew was wrong? And then you felt like it just stuck with you? Yeah. Like you couldn't get away from it, you couldn't shake it, no matter what you did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Call it guilt, shame. You just couldn't get away from it. Maybe someone was trying to take some steps to make it right, but it was still there. Maybe you talked to a friend and they just said, well, you know, it's done, just let it go. But we couldn't let it go. Now, why is that? Why is it that sometimes it feels like sin grips us and won't let go of us? Right. If sin is just in our actions, if it's just the things we do, then we sin and it goes out of us and out into the world and it has consequences. And when the consequences are over, it should be done. Right? Right. That should be it. Like I sin, now it's out there. In a sense, I should be able to walk away from it, to move forward from it, to wash my hands of it, but it doesn't work that way. And it seems like sin grips us like stain. Yeah. That we can't get out. Right. Like it's still on us. Now, I'm not the biggest Shakespeare fan, but in Shakespeare's play of Beth, 
particular character commits a murder. Yeah, he does it for, he's got a reason that he does it, right? I don't get into all that. But he knows it's wrong, right? It's wrong to murder. Yeah. And after it, he describes the feeling he has like this. Bear with the Shakespearean language. It says, Will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hand? No, this my hand will rather the multitudinous seas incarnate, making the green one red. So what's happening here is he's just committed this murder. And the plan was, okay, we've got a plan in place to do this, and then we're going to cover it up, we're going to dispose of the body, deal with it, get political advantage for it, and move on. And his mother says, okay, wash your hands, just move on. Yeah. But he's sitting there after doing this, he's like, I can't get the blood off of my hand. Yeah. I can cover it up, I can deal, I can do all these things, but no matter what I do, it's still on me. Even if it feels like the oceans could not wash this clean, but I would solely them instead. No matter what he does, he feels the blood staining his hands. His sin has a grip on him, and he cannot shake it off. Yeah. Maybe you haven't murdered anybody. Can you relate to that? Yeah. 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 See, the problem is that sin is not just the actions we take. It's under something where I did it, I deal with the consequences, maybe I cover it up, whatever, and then move on and forget. There is more to sin than that. It's not just external. When Jesus says, cut off your hand or pluck out your eye, when he says you should do that, that cause you to sin, he's not exaggerating like some people think he is. In fact, the opposite is true. He's not taking it far enough. And that's what he wants us to see. The reality is, if it would successfully cut sin off of us to remove our hand, or plug out our eye, then we should do it. Right. It would be worth it. Yeah. Just like it was the right decision for Aaron Ross to cut off his arm, as painful and horrible as it was. Because it meant life. Yeah. Right. And he doesn't look back at that as, oh man, that was just... <laughs> I wish I had cut off my arm. <laughs> it meant life. Yeah. And he's grateful to be alive. He said that the thought process he had as he set about breaking his arm and cutting off his arm for an hour was this. He kept thinking, it's rubbish, it's going to kill you, get rid of it, Aaron. It's going to kill you, get rid of it. This is wisdom. Yeah. Keeping the arm would have cost his life, and an arm isn't worth a lot. Yeah. So it was wise to get rid of it. This is the exact scenario that Jesus presents to us. If my hand or my eye is causing me to sin, then it would be wise to remove them because sin is that serious. Yeah. And Jesus is that serious about it. Yeah. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. It will kill us. So if we could just lose a hand and be done with it, that would be worth it. Right. And it would be wisdom. Jesus' logic here is very sound. The reality is sin will destroy everything good in your life. That's right. And cause eternal death if it is not dealt with. This is not exaggeration. If it's going to kill you, get rid of it. Right. If it costs an arm, it costs a hand, it costs an eye to live, any of us can see that that is worth it. Yeah. It's a cost worth paying. Yeah. They're going to live. 
Jesus' logic is sound. It's better to live without an eye or a hand or an arm than to die. And how much more are we talking about eternity? Right? So should we break out the knives? We'll show you a Bible response to whatever you're running away. No. I'm not going to break out the knives tonight. But not because Jesus didn't mean what he said. Or because he was exaggerated. Jesus wants us to take this to his logical end. See, let's go back to our scenario. I'm at the wreck. I see the $20 and I take it. I steal. It's sin. Now, I just used my hand to steal, right? Yeah. But did my hand cause me to sin? Jesus says. Let's say I cut my hand off. Can I still steal? But let's say a man looks at a woman and lost after her, just like Jesus describes you. He uses his eyes to sin, but did his eye cause the sin? So I can cut off my hands, and that would make it more difficult to steal, but I haven't actually cut off sin. I can just find another means to steal. And if a man plucks out his eye, it might limit his ability to lust, but it doesn't remove it. It doesn't take the sin away. It's still there. And what Jesus wants us to see is that it's actually not enough to cut off our hands or pluck out our eyes. If that was it, that would be great. Let's do it. Move on. But that would not actually remove sin. Right. Because sin is not just external. It's not just things we do that affect the world around us. And we can't just get rid of it by removing external things, our body parts. It lies deeper than that. Which means we have to go further to deal with it. Yeah. So where does sin actually exist? Where does it really live? It's not just external, but it has external effects and consequences. It's not just in our choices and actions, although it shows up in our choices and actions. Yeah. In this very passage, Jesus shows us where sin lives. He said, if a man looks at a woman with lustful intent, he's already committed adultery with her. Where? In his heart. This is where sin is. This is where sin exists. In our hearts. Now, when the Bible talks about a person's heart, you know, it doesn't just mean the organ, right? Right. It's talking about the very center of a person's life. The foundation of all that they are. At the very center, the very core of who we are, is sin. It's not an external issue. It's not just about making better choices or keeping rules. Our hearts are sinful. Yeah. The foundation of who we are is sinful. We are sinful people. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand this? But that term, desperately sick, is it's a pretty loaded term in the original Hebrew. One thing it means is that it's terminal. There's no cure. There's no way to treat it. It also implies not just, you know, an amoral illness, but wickedness. Some translations say desperately wicked. Yeah. But even that doesn't hear in a full way, because it's also like, like a sickness that's killing you. And that's our hearts. Desperately, hopelessly wicked. To the very core, we are sinful. Right. And the wages of sin 
his death. Now many of us believe that we can earn God's favor if we just follow all the rules. If we do enough good, it'll outweigh the bad. But even our good deeds come from wicked hearts. And in first Samuel, God said, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the hearts. See, we only see what people do. We see somebody doing good things, and we think, oh, that's a good person. But God sees deeper than that. Right. That's right. He doesn't look at what we do, he looks at our hearts. He cares a whole lot more about why we do what we do than what we do. And if I do good deeds to gain things for myself, are they really good deeds? Anything that I do for myself is a real goodness. And I can do the right things with the wrong motives that are not the right things. This is why Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They look clean and pretty on the outside. They did all the right things. They followed all these laws. They prayed all the time. They fasted. They were reciting the scriptures all the time. But their hearts were wicked and selfish. And they treated God as a means to bless themselves. They didn't love Him. Their hearts were wicked. They looked pretty on the outside, but inside there was nothing but death. Too. And if I think that I'm basically a good person, I don't understand the gospel. We're not good. Psalm 52, 53, 2 through 3 says, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. None who does not me, not you, not us. Romans 3 23 continues to stop saying, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which is all of us. It's every single one of us. It's who we are. Sinful. The very core of us. And this is what Jesus wants to bring us face to face with in this passage. So our hands or our eyes that cause us to sin. That'd be easy. It's our very hearts. And this is why Macbeth can't wash the blood from his hands. It's not on his hand. It's in his heart. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And he can't get rid of it by trying to cover it up. Pretend it didn't happen and move on. If we've ever been in that position, we've done something wrong and we can't get away with it. We can't get rid of it. We can't deal with it enough. Try to tell ourselves it's like it never happened. It's not a big deal. It rings hollow. It's because it isn't just the thing we did, but the thing that we did revealed something that was in us. It revealed what was in our hearts the whole time. When we act, we act out of who we are. And we sin, we did this thing and exposed ourselves so we could see what was inside of us. There's not this external thing that's just out there now. I can just walk away from it. It's in me. Yeah. And I can't shake it. It's why the guilt sticks to us. Why it cleans. It's not just a thing we did. It's a thing that's inside of us. Right. In our hearts. And we're honest with them. It's not just that I did a bad thing. It's that I am wicked. Yeah. And sinful. 
and the bad things that I've done stem from that. And that's what Jesus is driving at here. And we have to see it. He wants us to see our hearts for what they are. Because if sin was just in our body, we're supposed to be rid of it and Right. For eternity. It's a good train. But what do I do if it's in my heart? Yeah. What can I do with that? This realization it shakes us to the core. I remember when I first realized that sin was in me. You know, I grew up like the typical church kid. The church all the time in Awanas, memorized Bible verses, and all the things. Sunday school, you name it. And I heard all the rules, and I did my best to follow them along with all the right things. And other people, other parents would look at me and say, oh man, what a good kid. But then I went off to college and I got deep in sin. Partying, chasing girls, living selfishly, doing things purely for myself that I knew were wrong and causing hurt everywhere around me. What happened? Was I a good kid who just got corrupted by the worldliness of college? I was never a good kid. I did the right things because I wanted people to think I was good. Maybe sometimes I didn't want to deal with the consequences of what happened if I did that thing that was bad. Ultimately, I thought, you know, God will bless me if I do good things. He'll bless me. It was not me. But I always had secret sin in my life, and in reality, all the good I did wasn't good because it was for me. I was selfish, putting myself first in everything. I was wicked the whole time. And then that wickedness came out, and it was revealed, and I could see it when I went off to college. And I saw it, and it clung to me, and I couldn't get away from it. I felt stained. And I tried to run from it. I tried to hide from it. I tried to cover it up. I go to church sometimes. She said, I'm still doing good things. But it was always there. And I was just trying to trick myself into believing something that I knew wasn't true. Yeah. And it was like constantly just right there in the back of my mind. And I couldn't wash the blood from my hands, from my heart. And when a small group leader who loved Jesus met me and fought for me and pursued me and was a friend to me and loved on me, even when I made it difficult, I made it difficult because I didn't want him to be close enough to expose me. But he was persistent. And I found myself surrounded by other freshmen like me who were hungry for Jesus. Not just as a means to an end, but they actually wanted to know Jesus. They asked questions and talked about what they really wanted to know him. I just wanted you to give them. Right. And I finally confronted my own heart. And I remember sitting in my dorm room and telling God, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve it. Not just because of what I've done, because of who I am. My actions have revealed my heart. And I knew then that my heart was sinful. Yeah. All of our hearts are. Have you seen your heart? Have you seen the sin inside of you? So what can we do? I mean, I can't get my head off. I can't get my heart out. It would mean dying. 
sin is death. But it's in our hearts. But our position is desperate and it's hopeless. There's nothing we can do to fix it. And this is exactly what Jesus wants us to confront. But we are in a hopeless position. And this is square one of the gospel. For the message of the Bible, for the message of Christianity. And if we don't recognize this part, then the whole gospel doesn't make sense. We have to see that our hearts are wicked. The very core of who we are, we're new. We can't fix it. We can't do enough good. Any good thing to do is like trying to clean the outside of a tomb. The inside is still dead. And we can't do anything to bring life to it. Right. And this is why Jesus came. This is why he came. Right. He was more differently than we were. And he was without sin, not just in what he did, not just in the choices he made, in his heart. Right. And who he was, there was no sin in him. Yeah. He was God himself in the body of a man, fully God, fully man. And he came and he laid his life down on the cross. Yeah. And when he did that, he took our sin on himself, not just the things we did, who we are. Yeah. He took it on himself. All the wickedness in our hearts, and he died, paying for it, and breaking his power, and then he rose again. And he made a way for us. The way. The only way. The narrow way. That leads to life. Every other way people try is just trying to fix themselves. But we can't do it. None of it will ever be enough. The cross of Jesus is the way. But the cross means death. That's right. That if we come to the cross, it means coming to our own death. But when we come and we die in Jesus, we find life. That's right, amen. Amen. So you die. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 38, 39, whoever does not take his cross, means death. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life loses, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right. Yeah. This is the gospel. This is the only way. We are desperately and hopelessly wicked, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. And through him we can take up our cross right. and die to our sin in this world and be born again. Yes. And actually be free from sin. Yeah. Be free from that gripping thing that we can't get rid of. Ezekiel 36, 25, 27 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone, dead stone, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And this is the gospel. This is Christianity. It's coming and taking our crosses, following Jesus. 
and having new life and new hearts free from the grip of sin. Finally. Serving God. Amen. And we experience that. The sprinkling that cleanses us is only the blood of Jesus shed for us. We see our sin. And we see our hearts. Do we have blood on our hands? All the emotions couldn't wash it off, but the blood of Jesus can. Amen. It's the only thing that can. Worship Jesus, you make your way back up. Do we see our sin? What lengths will we go to? And I, your hands, our lives. Yeah. Would we give him our lives? Lay them down, everything. And let him give us a new one. Oh, and him is Lord, the only one for me. Tonight, you respond to us. There's a couple of ways we're going to respond. Some of us have never experienced that. But when we've started trying to follow the rules and try to, you know, try to go to church and read the Bible and do the thing we should do, we've never been made new. But we have to be made new. Right. And it means going to the cross and dying, laying down our life. And when we do that, there's resurrection. There's new life. Right. Free from sin. It doesn't just mean that all of a sudden it's like I'll never experience temptation again and just be super old. There's a process of sanctification, but it does mean that that sin that's in my heart will lose its grip and its power on me. That's right. And I can actually walk with Jesus. And every time that he encountered somebody, he said, go and sin no more. And when Jesus proclaimed something like that, it's just like when he told the lame man, get up and walk. Well, he proclaimed that there's power in him. And he enabled us to do what we couldn't do with him. Some of us need to come to Jesus tonight. We need to actually lay our lives down and give him a So he can give us a new Amen. We can walk with him. We can walk out of our sin. Some of us have come to Jesus before, but we've been making a lot of sin in our lives. We've been treating it like it wasn't a big deal. Jesus is them. It was always serious to him. It cost him the cross. And if we make light of sin and go on trifling with it, and we already come to Jesus, we make a mockery of what he did for us. We need to repent. Would you go to any length to have sin really out of your life? We're Christians and we're still messing around with sinful things that cost Jesus his blood. Serious business. That's right. And he wants to deal with it tonight. That's right. We can put it away. It doesn't mean just trying hard. That's right. It's going to be sacrifice. That's right. It's going to be laying things down. Whatever it takes. What do we value most? Do we value comfort, entertainment, convenience, or do we value holiness? Come on. 
Are there things in our lives that enable sin? Why do we still have them? Right. Jesus said, cut off your hand. But we still cling to what? Smartphones, apps, social media, entertainment? What? What is it? What is it that's enabling sin in our lives? And if that's us, and we've been in that place, and we know I, I shouldn't be sitting like this anymore, but I stand. And we're going to meet with Jesus, and we're going to ask him to show us, what do I need to give up, Jesus? Come on. What do I need to give you? Yeah. You can have anything. You can have everything. Because I want to walk with you, and I want to honor you. I don't want to sin anymore. Sorry. And he'll show us things. Yeah. And when he does, we'll lay it down, and we'll give him up. Because it's worth it. That's right. Jesus said we should only be for body parts of the way to sin. Sure, we can do all things other things, right? Yeah. So in a minute, I'm going to pray, and we're going to find a place to meet with Jesus. We find a space in the front, a space in your seat, but wherever you are, just meet with Jesus. Yeah. And if you need to lay your life in, then give it to Him. And let's do that tonight. He will give you a new life. And if you have sin in your life that you know shouldn't be, let's meet with Him. Let's ask Him to come through our lives. Say, whatever I need to give you, I will give you. Repent and tell Him, I'm sorry, Jesus. And let's give Him things in Jesus. Because walking with Him is Let's pray. Jesus, Lord.